So it is uh, Halloween, and I'm looking around, and I'm a little disappointed because none of y'all dressed up. <laughs> I gave explicit instruction to dress up. I'm just joking. I did not. Some people would be, hey, he really said to dress up. I thought about it, to be honest with y'all. And now I'm kind of upset that I didn't. But then I was like, how would we dress up, you know? I mean, in one hand, you kind of think, let's dress up, you know, let's be kind of, maybe we could do a, you know, an old time dress up to the nines, come to church, right? Dress like we're going to church in 1950. That would have been fun. I mean, I haven't worn a tie in a while. It'd be a good opportunity to don a tie. Of course, then visitors would have come in and been like, they wear this every Sunday, and they would have been surprised next week whenever they showed up, and we were back in our Hawaiian shirts. And, and there was this like kind of fleeting thought that I had, uh, you know, what if we dress like Bible characters? And I have a question for you. Who would you dress like? Would it be Abraham? And of course, there's different scenes and different stories in Abraham's life that we know. There's the younger man, Abraham. And Ur of the Chaldees. Being called to a new land. That he did not know. By a God who he was not well acquainted with. But who he would get to know. Who would make himself known to him. Or would it be the older man, Abraham? Who after years and years of seeing God's faithfulness, was willing to lay down his son Isaac. Not because, not because he was trying to appease God and gain God's favor, but willing because he trusted. He trusted in the God who gave to him when he was not worthy. Would it be Elijah? Would you show up with your rough and tumble back wilderness furry cloth and your locust and wild honey would it be Naomi or Ruth or Deborah 
Deborah, the woman judge. I guess we would have to think, who do, you, who do you identify the most with? Do you identify with Peter? Sometimes you speak before you think about it. Do you, you identify with James and John, who Jesus called the sons of thunder? Because they said, hey, we saw some guys doing some work and they're not part of our group. They were casting out demons in your name, but, but they haven't been hanging out with us. Should we call fire down from heaven on them? And guess what? We went into some Samaritan villages and those Samaritan villages didn't welcome us in there. Should we call fire down from heaven on them? Thunder! You cannot not think about that. Unless you don't know the song. And if you don't know the song, you might be better for it. But, but that is an appropriate song for the sons of thunder. Maybe it's uh, Killa and Priscilla. Uh, faithful, diligent, steadfast. Teachers, God's word, and if Jesus's story, how to apply Jesus's story to one's life. I ask these questions this morning because we started several months ago looking at uh, these, these various texts, various thoughts that kind of shaped us and pointed us towards the joy that is set before us. Of course, that statement comes out of Hebrews chapter number 12. And in Hebrews chapter number 12, it tells us that Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And it tells us to keep our eyes on Jesus. To follow Jesus. And so we've been thinking about the joy that's set before us. Uh, that great day of the Lord whenever Christ returns. And resurrection takes place. And a new heavens and a new earth are given to us. And God wipes away all the tears. And everything that is unjust and wicked and exploitative and violent and cruel is done away with, eradicated, removed. 
And what is left is creation as God intended it. You and I living. Living images of God, His goodness, His grace, and His love. Now that statement comes out of the book of Hebrews. And the thought process behind it at that time, it has continued to be, if we could keep the joy that is set before us in our minds and in our hearts, then we can endure all the hardness here. We, in our world today, are living in a particularly hard time. Uh, people uh, about a year and a half ago uh, were isolated from one another. It's a hard time. Uh, politically, everything's been politicized. And we have all been divided or tried to be divided along political lines. That's what this world wants us to do. But we who are of Jesus say, not so fast. We will not be your pawns in your corrupt schemes because we are citizens of a greater kingdom. Economically, things have been difficult for some, and it seems they're only going to continue to be a little bit more difficult. Uh, inflation, supply chain problems, amidst all the other issues. Death. A lot of people have died in the last year and a half. A lot of people who you and I were not ready to say goodbye to died. A lot of people who were it not for a deadly virus would still be alive. Hatred and hostility, division, violence, cruelty, And yet we know that um, people are still exploiting all these opportunities, aren't they? People are exploiting these opportunities for financial gain. Uh, people are exploiting these opportunities uh, 
to increase human trafficking. There's humanitarian crisis all over the place. People are exploiting these opportunities to get us all riled up at our borders. So, that's the big things going on, but yet you and I live in the day in, day out, where not only are those things going on around us, but you and I have to face the hardness that we face. Sometimes it is the economical strain of things. And sometimes that's because the economy's in a tough spot. And sometimes that's because you and I are foolish with our spending. And we hate that we get into that place, but we continue to get into that place. Sometimes you and I run into what we call drama amongst family and friends. Sometimes that's because they misunderstood you. And sometimes that's because you were a jerk. That's probably more often the case looking at the crowd. Just joking. I kid, I kid. I'm just looking at the mirror is what I'm saying. <laughs> See, the book of Hebrews was written to a group of people who had endured hard times and who had been faithful in the midst of hard times. But Hebrews is written as a pastoral plea to those people. That pastorally he is concerned, or maybe she is concerned, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. There is a concern that those people who had endured so much already would not be ready or would grow weary if they had to continue enduring much more. You've all been there, haven't you? You've been there where you are in a season and it felt like a sprint at first. And you thought, okay, if I could just make it to the end of this 100-meter dash, I will be good. And you got to the end of the 100 meters and it turned into 200 meters. And now you've been running in this season for 18 miles. And you didn't think that you could have made it past mile marker four. But here you are still running. And there is this persistent nagging that says, just quit. I don't often do long distance running. 
But as I am so willing to tell y'all, every time I get an opportunity, I do work out. I know this. I know that whenever I give into that impulse during a workout that says, just stop and take a break right now, it becomes easier to give into that impulse. It almost becomes impossible not to give in to that impulse. The writer of Hebrews writes to disciples of Jesus Christ who have endured for a long time. And the writer of Hebrews, the pastor who is really preaching a sermon throughout Hebrews, is concerned. They've endured so far, so well, and I don't want them given up. And so what the writer of Hebrews does is earlier, the writer of Hebrews puts forth a negative example. Don't be like these people. And you and I probably have had some negative examples in front of us. There are people that you go, I do not want to act like that because you've learned from their experiences. Whenever I was a young pastor and I was coming in to this church uh, as pastor, there were some things that I considered we might want to change. But I had a pastor before me who had gone in as a young pastor to a well-established church and had blown up that church because of all the changes that he wanted to bring. And the Lord said, look at that example before you. Not a terrible individual, not an unfaithful individual, but not a wise move. Don't make such a mistake. And the Lord called me and he said, just pastor faithfully. Friendswood Baptist Church. Don't worry about things that you think need to be changed. And you know what? I learned a lot of valuable lessons in what I think should have happened and what's the reality. And I'm thankful, but there was an example that it said, don't follow this course. The writer of Hebrews, the pastor, sets up the children of Israel who were rescued from Egypt. That first generation as the negative example. Don't do what they did. And what did they do? They did not trust Yahweh. 
the Lord. They hardened their hearts against God. Despite all of his faithfulness. And they did not get to enter into the joy that was set before them. The promised land. Could you imagine? Could you imagine leaving Egypt destined for the land of promise that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob 400 years previous? And you get to the promised land. And you send in spies. And they come back and they say, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's all that you could imagine and more. But we don't think that we We don't think that we can go in and conquer them. Because there's giants in the land. God who had just miraculously rescued you from Egypt. Brings you to the brink of the promised land. And you say I don't think he can take me any further. We've, we've traveled long, hard road to get to this point. We've endured a lot. But that just seems insurmountable. I'm at mile marker 18, and I don't think I can make it to 19. I might just go ahead and quit. So the writer, pastor of Hebrews says, here's a negative example before you. Don't follow the negative example. And then the writer of Hebrews comes in chapter 6 and says, Hey, listen, I know we've said all this stuff to you. And it's been hard for you to hear and to receive. And it's hard stuff to kind of deal with. It's like we're kind of talking down to you. But we don't think that you are going to be those who fail. We just don't want you to fail. We don't want you to fall away. Verse number nine. We are persuaded better things of you. We believe that you are not the type to stop. You are not the ones to give in. You are not the ones to forsake it all. You are the ones who will keep going. We don't See you and think you're just like them. The negative example. I come to you as your pastor, Macaulay Austin, Friends of Baptist Church, and I know we have been enduring COVID for a long time and all that goes around it. And before COVID, there were other things that we had to endure. We forget this. We forget. We think that the world fell apart 
in March 2020. Guess what? It's always been a mess. But we forget, don't we? Oh, it's the last day. It could be the last days because it is not yesterday. But we are sadly mistaken. And we are really myopic, and we've talked about this. If we think, if we think that what we're living in right now is the worst that it has been or the worst it can be. And I say this to you to encourage you. Because I know, I know we have to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And I don't think of you like that crooked and perverse generation that came out of Egypt. Like the pastor of Hebrews, I'm persuaded better things of you. Things that accompany salvation. Here's what I'm sure of. Hebrews 6.10, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love, which ye have shown toward his name. God's not going to forsake you. You can count, you can bet your bottom dollar on that. He is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. All the things that you've continued to do faithfully, despite all the problems, the persecutions, Despite all the challenges and the temptation, all the trials, all that you've done, God will not forget that. And he will not forget you in it. Because our God's not unrighteous, our God's not unjust. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. But here's why we're saying what we're saying. Because we want to encourage you to keep going. To persevere. Until the end. That's the drive. Why am I putting pen to paper right now? The pastor of Hebrews says. Because I know there is a temptation to say, I've gone as far as I can go, and I can't go another step. And so as you've shown diligence to be faithful and to minister to the saints, continue showing the same diligence until the end.
We want you to show the same diligence. Verse 12 says, we do not want you to be slothful, sluggish, lazy. But followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We don't only want you to be warned about the negative examples. We also want you to be followers. It comes from the Greek word which we get the English word mimic or imitate. We want you to mimic those or imitate those. Or as I started out this morning, we want you to dress up. Like those. Those. Those who what? Through faith and patience inherit the promises. We don't just want you to have a negative example in front of you. We want to set a positive example in front of you as well. Example number one. Jesus, your great high priest, who has entered into the Holy of Holies. Jesus, how did Jesus, what did Jesus do to enter into the most holy place? Jesus faithfully endured. He stayed faithful to the way that God called him to. He stayed faithful to patience and love and generosity and hospitality and kindness and temperance. Whenever People were looking at him and scoffing him and saying, why are you healing those people on the Sabbath? Jesus didn't lose his mind and call down fire like the sons of thunder wished he would have. Jesus stood resolute answered the challenges that he could, and sometimes you can't have an answer for everything. As Brother Bruno has told me many times, for those who need an explanation, no explanation will do. Which is just a bit of wisdom that sometimes we find is true. Sometimes somebody comes to you and says, why are you doing this? Or why do you think it's okay for you to do this? And you go, well, I'm just going to show you. I have a biblical basis for it, and there's a practical reality to it. And they go, but why? And you go, well, because, and they go, but why? And you go, oh, okay. you don't want an answer. You just want to challenge. You just want to stop the work that we're doing. And sometimes you just have to go, all right, I'm going to continue on. And I'm going to do this without getting in my group of friends and going, those stupid people. 
and whining and complaining. Now, I will take my whining and complaining to the Lord. I will do that. I will go to God and say, this frustrates the fire out of me. And I will say, God, I'm very upset about this. And sometimes I will say, I'm downright angry. And these are the things that are in my heart, God. I want them to shut their mouths. <laughs> and I want them to get out of my way. But yeah, God, you know what I know? I need you to speak to me in this moment. Because I imagine that what I want to do to them is not what you want to do to them. And God says, yes and amen. You're right. I'm above you. And I have another way. Jesus faithfully endured. And he never wavered from the course that God called him to. And what we find is the course is not just to go to the cross. The course is how you go to the cross. When we read of his story, we all marvel that he was like a lamb led to the slaughter. He did not open his mouth. He didn't fight and kick. He laid down his life. And whenever he was hanging on the cross, he didn't say, God, bring fire down from heaven and destroy him. He said, Father, forgive them. What we know from that is that is the way that you and I are supposed to go. Although we don't want to go that way. Especially those of us who grew up watching John Wayne. We don't think that's the way that God would want us to go. He wants us to go as rootin' tootin' cowboys. And blast away our opposition. Jesus did not do that. So we know that that is the way. But we also know this. Because he makes the way that you and I have one who's already entered into the promise. The rest. Through whom we have an advocate. So that whenever you and I need help. Because this person is making my temper short, I can go to God and say, give me the grace I need so that I don't forsake the way. And who is that person? Sometimes it's your spouse. Sometimes it's your children. Sometimes it's your boss or your coworker or the person, the unknown person on the other end of the line who calls themselves a customer service agent, but they must not understand what customer service means. There's a person who drives in front of you and causes you to slam on your brakes because they wanted to get ahead. I know these are not the biggest enemies that we face, but aren't they the ones that we experience most readily? So Jesus is our prime example. 
but then there are others. There's Abel, who offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. There was Enoch, who was translated that he should not see death, and was not found, because God had translated him. Before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Could you imagine having the testimony? This person pleases God. I don't think any of us, from all of our religious guilt, think that we can have that testimony. But Enoch shows us that you can. And Jesus tells us that we can. Jesus tells us that there's going to be a day which we who endure faithfully will hear him say, well done. I'm pleased with the work that you did. Doesn't that sound good? Maybe instead of acting like we could never obtain to that, we should strive for that. Maybe sometimes our giving in is, well, I'm not going to make it to the end anyway. What if you go, no, I'm looking for that moment whenever I cross the finish line and he says, I'm pleased. Well, I'm going to keep striving for that. <sighs> or Noah, who being warned of God of things not, as, uh, not seen as yet, he was moved with fear. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house by which he condemned the world. And he became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. By the which he condemned the world. You know what? Noah didn't have to go around and say, you're condemned, you're condemned, you're condemned. Noah showed his faith, and his faith was a judgment, an indictment against the world that had no faith. He built the ark. And all those other ones who said, what are you doing? Building a boat. The indictment came upon them. Not because he had to go point his finger. We should learn something from this. Because we think as a church, we need to go point our finger. You know what's wrong? You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. We need to go cast all these indictments. Hey, let's just do what's right. You don't have to get with somebody and say, look at us. We're being hospitable this week on Family Promise. And you know how many people aren't being hospitable? No. You just be hospitable. And if somebody's not hospitable, that will indict them. You don't need to be proud and arrogant. We don't need to be proud and arrogant. He became an heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Abraham, when he was called to go out of the place, which, should, which he should receive after for an inheritance, obeyed and went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city, which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age 
because she judged him faithful who had promised. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were persuaded of them. They endured faithfully, knowing that the promise would come. And they embraced them, and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, and truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have offered have had opportunity to have returned if they remembered what things were like at the starting line where your legs weren't moving and your sweat wasn't pouring and your heart wasn't pounding and your breath wasn't short. Then you might just stop and go back to the start. So we have Abraham, we have Isaac, we have Jacob, we have Sarah. We have Moses, verse 23. But that's not all, folks. Verse 32. What shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the strangers or the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned and they were sawn asunder. They were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. I love this line of whom the world was not worthy. Some saw some great victories in this life. And some did not. And those who did not were faithful until the end. Until they were fed to the lions, they were burned at stakes, they were hung upside down on crosses, they did not waver from the way Guess what scripture has to say about those folks? This world as it is, this present bogus world system is not worthy of those folks. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. 
They all did this for the joy set before them, but guess what? They're waiting just as you and I are waiting. They're waiting for that day when Jesus returns. Because we're all going to receive the promise together. We're all going to enter into the rest together. Wherefore, seeing we have all these folks that you could imitate, you could dress up like today, Let's not only think about them, but let's keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before us endured the cross, despising its shame. And right now, he is at the right hand of the throne of God. Our first example and our last example is Jesus, who's already been faithful and endured to the end. My brothers and my sisters, I did not ask y'all to dress up today. But I do offer this to you this morning. We have people whose stories are recorded in Scripture. Not merely so we can learn some good moral tales. These are not Aesop's fables for us. They are lives from whom we can learn and of whom we are called to imitate. Not everything that they did should we imitate, but those with ears to ear, listen. Today, you are not called to run the race alone. Today, we have faithful brothers and sisters who've gone before us and who are about us now to continue pressing toward the mark, the prize of the high calling. And we encourage you Dress up like them. Put on the character that they put on. Put on the prayers that they put on. Put on the uh, generosity, hospitality. Put on the faith that they put on. And keep moving until the very end. And with that I say, amen.